All right. Anybody know what this is? All right. Good. The idea behind this, pretty simple. Um, it allows animals to work together to reach their fullest potential. Its design is to lighten their workload. And it's also not supposed to cause any pain or discomfort. But in scripture, the idea of a yoke actually becomes a symbol of oppression, usually pertaining to some form of forced servitude or slavery. And so there's a different kind of yoke. This human yoke can be cruel, uncomfortable, poorly fitting, confining restraint, and a symbol of everything that God wants to free us from. So some yokes can be light, well-fitted, and help us reach our potential. Others can be heavy, restrictive, and keeping us from reaching our fully, fullest potential. Many wise people have said this. We're all yoked to something. So maybe a question for the beginning of this is, how does it feel? How does the yoke feel right now in your life? Well, I recently heard a story that exemplifies the heavy yoke of oppression. And honestly, when I heard this story, it made me sick to my stomach. See if anyone has heard this. It's just, this is unbelievable. So I was driving to a meeting out in Burbank, the EP search committee, Dave, that I'm on. Um, so I had some time in the car sitting in like rush hour traffic going out to Burbank. Um, and I heard this story that absolutely made my blood boil about a dozen leaders from a California church called Imperial Ministries that had been indicted on charges of conspiracy to commit forced labor. This is unbelievable. So just get ready for this one. Like you just, you're not going to believe this. They lured people experiencing homelessness into forced labor with the promise of providing meals and shelter. Okay? So instead of warm beds and good meals, they actually imprisoned them in group homes. They made them give up their welfare benefits and they forced them to panhandle for eight to nine hours a day for six days a week. All of the proceeds, of course, stolen by these so-called Jesus-following church leaders. If they resisted or said they wanted to leave, they would threaten them. If they had kids, they would threaten to take their children away. They would deny them transportation. They told them that all of their loved ones had rejected them and that only God loved them. Others were forced to hand over their property, passports, immigration papers, all to ensure that they wouldn't or couldn't leave. So the church used the money. They called it fundraising. <laughs> this is unbelievable. They used their fundraising money to expand their ministries to over 30 church affiliates in California and in Mexico, okay? God only knows how much these oppressors actually pocketed for their own selfish use. Then they got to the end of the story. I'm already like, I am fuming in my car driving. And then the quote of the day, the pastor quoted as saying, I don't think I did anything bad. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> you know, it's like, Look, most of the world would disagree with that statement, you know? And it got me thinking, um, why do people not want to participate in church as much anymore as they used to? Imagine, like, if I'm that upset, imagine someone who's skeptical or on the fence about the church, and they're driving in their car, and they're listening to the story about church leaders stealing. and It's just unbelievable. 
So that's a really good example of a, of a heavy yoke, the heavy yoke of a church, which is amazing. And so today we're going to talk about, similar to last week, it's monarchical succession, right? The succession of the kings of Israel. And we're going to talk about the heavy yoke of these kings. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to compare those kings to an alpha male chimpanzee named Amos, okay? Um, and we're going to finish with Jesus, whose yoke was said to be easy and his burden light. Are we ready? Let's pray. God, we ask that you'd reveal yourself through your word, that you would be with us not only in our speaking, God, but also in our listening, that our hearts and minds may be open to know you more intimately and to follow your way. Amen. All right, you're going to have to get your brains ready for this one, all right, because uh, this is complicated. First uh, Kings 12, 1 to 17, here we go. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended to his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice that the older men gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said, thus you should say this to the people who spoke to you. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus, you should say to them, my little finger is thicker than your father's loins. We'll get to that. <laughs> we got some explaining to do there. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Sounds like a lovely guy, huh? So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day. As the king had said, come to me again on the third day. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shulamite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. 
The word of the Lord. <laughs> it's a little more difficult to say. Thanks be to God for that one. Uh, this, is some, this is some really tough stuff. Hopefully, we can see the connection. Those of us that have been uh, a little more consistent might see the connections going back a few weeks to where Chad was. Um, that Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, who's the son of David, who's the son of Jesse, who's the son of Boaz and Ruth, where we were a few weeks ago. So we talked about King David last week um, quite a bit, and we're not going to spend too much time on him. But for all of his flaws, which there were many, he was a shrewd politician who we saw last week had united the divided kingdoms of Israel. And at the end of David's life, he tells his young son Solomon that all will go well for you if you keep God's commandments and walk in God's ways. We can all get behind that advice. It's good advice. And so King Solomon becomes king, is wisely, uh, widely recognized as the wisest man in the world. Scripture even says that he's wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. And you know how wise Ethan was, right? <laughs> Must have been pretty wise. Um, so for a while, Solomon heeds the advice of his father, and he ruled pretty well. But as time progressed, things began to change. Solomon begins to build the temple, something that his father David only dreamed of doing but could never accomplish. It's this magnificent building, unprecedented beauty and expense. It's Solomon's, perhaps his greatest achievement. But God saw something that not everybody saw. God saw Solomon's heart, and God, the scripture says that Solomon's heart was turning away from God, turning away. And so God sees this. Um, it's this subtle turn at first. It's this slight veer off course. And I've got a friend, Jody Martin, who's a scientist guy. His mind's pretty good. Um, and he says it's like a satellite, that if a satellite is off course, just an infinitesimal amount, that satellite eventually will crash and burn. That's more like Solomon. It doesn't happen in one great moment of moral failure, but gradually he begins to turn his heart to empire building instead of participating in the building of God's kingdom of justice for all people. And so scripture says that Solomon used 30,000 slaves to build his temple, okay? And his personal palace. And so Israel, we know, they've once been an enslaved people. Israel's God was known as the breaker of chains long before the mother of dragons. A little Game of Thrones reference. And in just a few generations, here's what's happened. The oppressed have now become the oppressors. Solomon is living in palaces. He's worshiping in buildings that are constructed on the backs of human suffering. And so he used these same slaves to build three military bases to protect his enormously wealthy empire, protecting and maintaining security for this vast empire now becomes his highest priority. He accumulated 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. Where did he import these chariots and horses from? Anybody? Egypt. Egypt, who had once used horses and chariots to chase down the people of Israel, hunting them as they fled slavery in Egypt. Solomon, this is what Scripture is doing. It's saying that Solomon is becoming the new Pharaoh, and Jerusalem is becoming the new Egypt. We have a problem here, and the yoke of Solomon's empire building weighed heavily on his people. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, has a choice to make. Is he going to continue to build an empire on the backs of slave labor like his dad? Or would he lighten the yoke of oppression 
on his people. Solomon dies, the whole assembly of the people of Israel are gathered together. They're begging their new king to lighten the yoke, to ease their, the burden of their suffering. And in return, did you hear the promise? In return, they say they'll love him, they'll be loyal as long as this king reigns over him. So the new king wisely seeks the counsel of his father's advisors, what the scripture said, the old men, uh, the wise, wiser guys. Um, and they remind him, and this is just beautiful, they remind him that if he, ser- if, if he serves the people well, and you hear this, he says, if you speak kind words to them, good words to them, they will be yours forever. He disregards their wisdom in favor of his entourage of young buddies that he had grown up with who foolishly give him a very different word. That word is a little PG-13. Uh, there's no kids in here, um, so I think we can handle it. Oh, you're not a kid? Emma, come on. You can handle this. Okay, here, just go. <laughs> wow. All right, okay, Emma, plug your ears. Ready? Okay, he says... He says, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. That's, that's the quote from scripture. You want to know what he's saying? Ready? No. Give me 10 seconds. <laughs> he's saying, mine is bigger than yours. And he's not talking about the size of his brain. Okay? And I'm not, this isn't a joke. I mean, it's funny. Okay, Emma. All right? And so here's, here's what it says. It says that this guy is like incredibly insecure. He's childish. He's petty. <laughs> Like, he wants to be the tough guy. And it's like a twist on the, when you're a kid, like, my dad can beat up your dad. This is a twist on that. He's basically saying, you think my dad was tough? Just wait until you have to deal with me. Have we ever seen our politicians behave insecurely and childish? I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Feel free to do your own thinking on that subject matter. And so instead of removing the heavy yoke of oppression, he doubles down. He tells them that not only is he going to remove or lighten this yoke, he actually says he's going to make their lives even more miserable, intentionally more miserable than they already were. And so what King David had united, Rehoboam quickly divides. Violence ensues. The other Boam, Jeroboam, uh, leads this rebellion Uh, And Rehoboam is forced to flee. Israel is split into multiple kingdoms uh, with multiple kings. And if you're wondering if things get any better with Jeroboam than they did with Rehoboam, the answer is no. Simple. Just like if you're a glutton for punishment, just keep reading where I stopped. All right? Because it really does not get, uh, it it doesn't get any better. And so if we're looking for good news, um, this is really sad. When you first just take this at what it's worth, you say, like, good luck. Right? This is a, a, really dark, uh, a really dark period um, in their history. And both of these northern and southern kingdoms end up getting uh, destroyed. Right? So now we're just going to pause and we're going to take a deep breath. Right? Because that is painful, very difficult. And so we're going to have a little bit more fun. All right, there he is. Um, I'm going to compare... <laughs> the brilliant leadership skills of this chimpanzee, whose name is Amos, uh, with our terrible kings of Israel that we just talked about. 
So this guy, Franz DeWall, wrote this book called Chimpanzee Politics. What a great title, by the way. Um, this book actually is read, in, believe it or not, in politics. Um, I, I think I was, I think somewhere I read that like Newt Gingrich used to make people in his office read this book um, a lot. So this book's gotten some attention, even political attention, it's about chimpanzees. Um, and so here's the thing, in, his, uh, in this book, and he has a TED talk too that's really excellent, 15 minutes, he does a really great summary of this, but what he does is he corrects our notion, this mistaken notion of the alpha male. And this, I think, is important for this message because our kings were a couple of knuckleheads that we're talking about, and they think they're really tough, right? And they're gonna just impose their will on their people, right? And so this is a mistaken notion of what an alpha male is, according to this guy. So he says that each chimpanzee troop has one alpha male and one alpha female. Amos, who's on the cover, uh, is this handsome alpha male chimp, also was really physically imposing, um, but he was also extremely popular in his community. And he demonstrated what DeWall says are exceptional leadership traits. So he says, uh, let's, let's do this. If I said alpha male, what do you say? What's an alpha male? What's the, what do you think of when you think about that? Anybody? Dominant. Okay, dominant, great. What else do we think of? Testosterone. Yeah, testosterone, perfect. What else do we think about? Zero talk show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, any other thoughts? Shut up. Yeah, right, that's good. Why you gotta talk about me like that? Power. Power, okay, good. Anything else? Control, these are excellent words, right? And that's, this is, when I thought about this, this, those are the same words that came to mind when I thought about answering that question, what is an alpha male? Now, we're gonna learn something right here. Because what DeWall says, he says, if you Google alpha male, you're gonna get a really distorted view of what that word actually means. And so when we think of this word, we think of dominance and strength. Essentially, we think of an alpha male as like, as like a bully, okay? And so, this is, this is one thing I really learned. That's not what an alpha male is. Like, that's just wrong. This is not what an alpha male is. And so he goes on to talk about an alpha male. This, this is a term that comes from the world of apes, okay? So this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. And so here's what he says about what a real alpha male is. He says that a real alpha male is generous, that they share their food with others. They break up fights, they keep the peace, they lead with harmony, they console the hurting, they settle disputes, and listen to this, they stand up for and like work for the best interest of the underdog. It's amazing. Like who would have thought this? They, uh, they settle disputes with fairness and with justice. He says that's what an alpha male is. And so this is Amos. This was the type of alpha male that Amos was. Um, and that's what made this particular chimp so popular in his community. Well, he got really sick. And when you get sick, you lose your position at the top. He loses his position of the alpha male. He's dying. And so as he's struggling to live, what do the other chimps do? This is amazing. They cared for him in his dying because they were returning the favor. They're doing for him what he had been doing for them the whole time that he was in that top position. They brought food to him when he was in bed and he couldn't get up. The female chimps were bringing wool and placing it behind his back and his head to make him more comfortable, all because they loved and respected him. 
Because Amos had lightened the yoke for these chimps in his troop, they return the favor. At the end of his life, they help him to carry the burden of his dying. And so Franz DeWall, he says in this book and in his TED Talk, which is awesome, he says that we humans have a lot to learn from this, from chimpanzee politics. Rehoboam and Jeroboam were terrible alpha males. They divided when they should have been working for unity. They enslaved when they should have been setting free. They refused to listen to people. They refused to listen to good advice. They refused to lighten the load of the people. They're tyrants of the worst kind. Amos would have been a much better king for the people of Israel than we see of the two that I just read about. And so our text raises all kinds of questions. Questions that if you wanted to pick one or two to talk about over lunch would be great. Questions like, who's more like Jesus? Amos or Jeroboam and Rehoboam? Be a fun question to talk about over lunch, and why? Are our leaders more concerned with empire building than the real needs of the people? How well do they listen to the real needs of the people? Whose advice and counsel are they seeking? Just having a discussion like this, how heavy is a leader's yoke? And I'm talking about anyone in positions of authority. I'm not talking about one person. We know that, right? anyone in, in, a, in a position of authority. These would be great questions to talk about and actually discuss and listen to the other person, regardless of where they are on the, on the political or theological spectrum. And so imagine with me a different scenario, but one that's really similar to the one from our, our text that we just read about. The whole nation of Israel plus the people of the world, everybody past and present, which includes you and I, we're all, we're all gathered together. We've gathered together, we're going to hear a word from our king, just like the people gathered together in the presence of Rehoboam to hear a word from their king. And so they've gathered to share their grievances about how hard their lives have been, how much they've suffered, how overwhelmed they feel, how anxious they are, how much they've struggled under a heavy weight, a heavy yoke. Now, if you're willing and you want to, I'd invite you to close your eyes for a minute. If you fall asleep, that's okay. You're in this great crowd. You're looking for your king to listen to you, to truly hear how hard life has been at times. You want the king to understand, to know your situation. And you beg the king to lighten the load, to practice justice, to listen, to care, to show some mercy. And in return for good words, you too are willing to offer this king your loyalty and your love. But this time, it's Jesus who stands in front of you. And here's what Jesus says. The king says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The king says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in this all-inclusive invitation, Jesus is offering rest and refreshment He's offering some equipment for the journey. Yeah, it's still a yoke, 
But this yoke fits perfectly. It's a yoke that connects us relationally to Jesus. It's one that helps us to lighten the load. It's one that helps us to reach our full potential. And it doesn't hurt or chafe in any way because it comes from a place of love. And so this yoke is a working instrument. It's a walking instrument. It's an, it's an instrument to, that ties us to Jesus. It's an instrument, uh, invitation to be tied or tethered to the love of God. It's an offer to carry the burdens and responsibilities of life that often weigh us down. It's another way to help carry those burdens that offers more refreshment, perhaps more rest than the way that we had been living before. And so Jesus reminds us of something that we hear from God all over the Hebrew scriptures too, over and over again, but we rarely hear from our kings today. We're going to wrap it up with this. Here's just a few things that come right out of of our scriptures. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters of rest. He restores my soul. I will satisfy the weary, and all who are faint I will replenish. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. These words may be better than a vacation. The love, mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus is welcome, refreshment, and rest for all those who are carrying heavy burdens. Let's pray. God, we marvel at the ways that so many, even of our, of our biblical leaders, just get it wrong. God, we ask that you would help us be a people that demonstrates a light yoke, one that's easy, one that's more Jesus-like. And God, we just come to, uh, to Jesus. We know we're all carrying heavy burdens and feeling the weight uh, of, of the difficult things in our lives. And God, we're, we're just grateful for this invitation to be tied uh, to your incredible love in Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we offer ourselves to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.